Hello there, Vitamizers. Welcome back to the How Do You Health podcast. As always, I'm Allison here in Austin, Texas with Slenderella and your hosts, Baldo Garza and Nurse Doza. We have an epic guest as always for this week's show. But before we get into it, the How Do You Health podcast is brought to you by Slenderella. Slenderella is a vitamin shot and IV blend that was designed to help your liver function optimally. It got its name when the creators started noticing that liver detox was causing many clients to lose weight. Now there is a whole line of different Slenderella blends that you can customize for your needs, as well as a supplement line to support all of your Slenderella goals. You can find distributors and more information at www.slenderellausa.com. This podcast is recorded at MSW Lounge. MSW Lounge is located in Westlake Hills in Austin, Texas. They provide a variety of services, including vitamin shots and IVs, the whole Slenderella family, concierge medicine, chiropractic, massage therapy, a vitamin drink bar, and tons of other local company offerings for ways to clean up your health and naturally stay that way for a long time. Find out more at www.mswlounge.com. This podcast is sponsored by Athletic Outcomes. Athletic Outcomes is Austin's boutique wellness studio focusing on functional fitness and sports recovery. Located in Southeast Austin, AO provides services such as personal training, group classes, pre and postnatal training, nutrition coaching, massage therapy, chiropractic, recovery compression boots, and MSW lounge vitamin shots. It's your one-stop shop for health and fitness. Check them out on social media at Athletic Outcomes to stay up to date on their events and programs. This podcast is produced by Flabs to Fitness, Inc. Flabs to Fitness is an online wellness company that specializes in mindful eating, personalized workout programs, and offers a subscription workout program for 20-minute workouts you can do anywhere. It's also a social media content firm for creation and scheduling of content and engagement with your fans on a variety of platforms, including this podcast. Find out more at www.flabstofitness.com. Okay, so today's guest is Lynn Graft. Lynn, I believe, was connected to us through Christina Wise. She's a mutual friend. She does some really cool stuff with wealth coaching and health coaching and all those things. Lynn is a professional video storyteller. That's the way I'm going to describe him. I don't necessarily know that that's how he would promote himself, but that's exactly what he does. He does storytelling for entrepreneurs. He specializes in video work. He's worked with some incredible clients over the years, building his portfolio, and now he does it on his own. Um, he's a coach. He helps people get comfortable on camera and you know, create their video content and all those things. Video content is exploding right now as a way for business owners to make more sales and just better inform their clients on what they are doing. So Lynn's expertise is highly sought after and he's really good at it. <laughs> and he's a wonderful person to talk to, very genuine. He definitely brought his camera in to, to film the whole setup of this podcast shoot and it was a lot of fun getting to hear his story, getting to know him, seeing him do that, <laughs> and fueling him up with an IV. He had a he seemed to have a lot of fun. So you guys are gonna love this episode. Here is How Do You Health with Lynn Graft. All right, guys. Well, welcome to the How Do You Health podcast. We're here with Lynn Graff, hey, what's up? founder of Storytelling for Entrepreneurs. Yes. Right? And, of course, we have Nurse Doza. We're going to talk about video because we have all these apparatus around us. Like, there's, I can see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 
different things Holy going on right now. Yeah. So I'm excited because we get to talk about these things that you get to do all the time. <laughs> like all Apple products, And too. Uh, we get to talk about – I know you wrote a book. The, so I can't remember where we met you because we've met you, like, everywhere. Like, we run into you – and I mean, I could say one thing or the other. It's like, oh no, but we met one time before that. And then someone else would be like, yeah, yeah we met one time before that. And then it's like, yeah, but we met one time before that as well too. So I want to say, just, I've I've always enjoyed your presence. I want to say we met you at Christina's event two years ago. Yeah, that's where we met. Right. Yep, okay. So our good friend Christina Wise has a group called Wealthy Wealthy. Yes. And. Uh, it's a financial investment into your health as well as your finances, right? Health and, and so, wealth, yep. health and wellness. So, and you were, I guess, were you attending or were you directing there? Um, I was supporting and attending. Okay. Because she asked me to just be there as part of the process. And um, I'm, a, I'm a video producer, 15 years. I filmed Christina, one of the first times she's ever been on camera 10 years ago. And so I've always given her a lot of tips on creating her story, telling her story, giving her tips on camera, because she was terrible back in the day. She's, she's great now. She's amazing. Yeah. She has really learned the art of, of being on camera and telling her story and understanding the relationship with the camera so much better than she used to be. I love the way that she commands the room. You talked before about the pregnant pausing, and you talked about you know letting what you said seep in. When I first heard her talk, I thought she'd been doing that for years. Yeah, like she was like a born natural speaker like that. Yeah, so you're telling me that was a work in progress and oh you helped man. you helped that. She knows. She'll she'll admit this. She was like this is super urgent. She just wanted to talk and get it done. She's like um, she was kind of shaking on camera. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because he says that, right? But he, he's always been natural like just I just want to speak like no, even back in college he was like you know when we were getting hazed or we were hazing people <laughs> <laughs> he was like the first one like, like hazing doesn't happen I don't should, know what you're talking about should we about. say this should we say that and he'd be like I got this and he'd just like take over right <laughs> but most people would be getting like that right kind of scared kind of hesitant yeah most people camera. most people the camera intimidates them when they see the camera looking at them it immediately causes a trepidation people get nervous mm. their subconscious and they just feel not great in front of the camera. That's most people in general. But why is that though? Why is it you feel like the center of attention's on you now and you're like, is they gonna watch my every move? They're gonna watch, they're gonna judge me? Like why, why would you think that's the case? It depends on the person. Most of the time you're just subconscious of what you're going to look and sound like on camera. So when we're talking right, right now, you really don't hear your voice. You don't know what you look like or sound like because there's no mirrors and everything else. But the minute there's a camera there, your mind says, oh, God, I'm going to be on recorded in an audio or a visual. And people just kind of locks them up. Sure. And it's the opposite of, hey, just be natural on camera. Nobody's natural on camera unless it comes naturally to you. And most people, it doesn't. So we but did. But, but I'll add to that. One of the things that I've learned, there's lots of different ways to get comfortable. One of the most effective ways is to have a drink or two before, about <laughs> a half hour beforehand or even then. Well, it's funny you say that because um, I did – the first time I did live TV was in the morning. And the funny thing is is that before we went there, the person I was going to be on TV with asked me how I was going to be on camera. And I was like, I don't know. I've never been on live TV, so I don't know what to tell you. Are you comfortable? I'm fine. I don't get – you know, like they gave us the questions, what we're going to talk about. Are you going to be okay? I'm like, I'm fine. Are you going to be okay? <laughs> he goes, well, I have a beta blocker medication if you need to take it. And what a beta blocker is a medication does, it slows down your heart rate oh. so you're not anxious. It's oh. kind of like what uh, golfers take, you know, when they're nervous about, you know, putting. And I looked at him and I was like, I've never taken that before. I don't want to take it the first time before we go on live TV. I think I'll be just fine. 
And I said, well, why are you so nervous about this? Like, why would I be uncomfortable? He goes, well, cameras. The second cameras get on someone, it can be an issue. And I said, well, is there an audience behind it? Like, I don't understand. Is there 30 people that's going to be watching me? He goes, no, there's just two cameras in the room, and that's it. And I said, so what's the big deal? Like, are the cameras judging me? I don't yeah, understand. like, I don't care. Are they laughing at me or what? <laughs> and, you know, so, but it was just very odd. And so you could tell, like you said before, the pregnant pause and all that. He was thinking of things he was going to say beforehand. Mm-hmm. And so you could tell, like, it was almost like he was going to trip on his own words. Right. And I'm just like, all right, cool. And he's like, remember to talk slow and breathe and sit up straight. And I'm just sitting here like, man, I got this, dude. Like, I, it's not a big deal. But speaking is a huge phobia for people because mm-hmm. they don't like it, right? And so have you ever yourself gone up and had, like, the butterflies before you're about to give a big talk to someone? I think uh, most people tend to get the little butterflies, and that's not a bad thing. Okay. Butterflies, just like professional athletes, people that perform at a very high level, having that slight edge, nervousness, additional rush of energy can be a good thing. Keeps you on your toes, makes your posture a little bit tighter and taller. Um, your mind is more focused. Yep. Those are good things. It's then when it goes over the point and you start, oh boy, you start tightening up. Yeah. That's the opposite of Gotcha. Like, um, I've always been really comfortable. I remember specifically the first time I ever really got on stage was in college and I was graduating as an electrical engineer and they wanted to speak to some incoming freshmen about the engineering program. And me and three people, they asked three of us to speak on stage, me and these two girls. And one girl had her note card and she was practicing and everything else. And I didn't even know what, I wasn't even prepared. I was like, I don't even know what to say, everything else. And I just got up on stage and I knew what to say. So I was never really uncomfortable. I just kind of said, you know, you're going to have a great time. It's going to be incredibly, and I just went from the hip. Wasn't a big deal. And I remember how I felt. I remember specifically right before it was about 500 uh, undergrads coming in. Just felt good about it. It was like you felt naturally. It didn't bug me at all. So I've always been fairly comfortable on stage. Um, there, was, there wasn't there was a lot of risk at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just me, senior. There, uh, there sure. It's not like I was getting paid for it. Yeah. Uh, but that early foundation in my life, enabled me to be very comfortable to this day i'm still really comfortable in front of an audience or on camera did That's you did you have an like a rush after you got done with that like did you feel like a rush of adrenaline i felt pretty good i was like not adrenaline i was like yeah i just kicked ass just, <laughs> i was like I, but i was like was i any good i don't know but it felt good <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and that, that's probably always a win right just to feel good about it i, I remember in, in whenever we had presentations in school i hated all that but the first time I ever gave a sales talk or whatever, no problem, right? I do remember one time, though, that my manager or the, the regional manager, she said, I need you to write it down. I need to know what I need to know that you know what you're going to say. And I was like, I'd rather just, like, go with what I know. And, you know, she made me write it, and that was the worst I've ever done wow. because I was, like, so nervous about because I had it out. And I was like, oh, shit, like, did I already say that? Like, you know, and you're – you're focusing on like, am I, have I read that or have I not read that? And it's just like, and then all of a sudden I'm like, all right, well, um, I hope you guys got, like, I cut it like 20 minutes short. And I was just like, I'm out. Like, it, was, I, it was the worst feeling ever. You know, what's interesting, <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a spoiler alert to the end of the book here. Um, okay. The book is really about, and what I teach most at the stage where I'm building this platform we're going to talk about, is that 
I help people create a story from scratch. Entrepreneurs specifically, I help them understand where to start, how to build it, how to polish it, how to get it ready. And at the end of the book, I share a story, and this is a tip anybody can take away, that the most important thing you need to do when your story is done, or you're getting ready to talk, you gotta own it. 100%, whatever you're talking about, you have to just say, this is the gospel, this is how it is, and this is why you should do it like that. If you're speaking from a position of authority, or if you just have something you want to say, you just got to get up there and own it, even if it's wrong. You're going to sound good. You're going to feel good. It's going to show in your posture, in your facial recognition. When you're just confident and you own something, it's one of the most important things that can help you when you're selling, when you're speaking publicly, when you're on camera. It's just like have that confidence that this is the way to do it. I, I know what I'm talking about. Listen to what I'm t saying, and you'll be successful. That's what Trump does, right? Hey, we're not getting into that right now. <laughs> well, we're, not well, get, we're not getting into politics that's here. That's what he does. <laughs> well, it, it's funny. We're getting into the whole other aspect of health because when we talked about, like, you know, what we're going to we say, confidence, right? The mental approach to a lot of everything that you do in life has to be preparation, right? And failing to prepare is basically leading to failure. But having that mentality to say, like, I got this. I'm confident. I feel like I can handle whatever's thrown my way and that uh, whatever happens, I'm going to learn from it and take the good and the bad from it, right? All of that is really hard for people because literally not a lot of people have that. To start to be an entrepreneur, you have to have all those qualities, and if you don't have it, you have to develop them quickly, right? It also sounds to me like the common thread here is that anytime the three of you just mentioned being super confident to get on stage and talk about something, it was on a subject that you were very passionate and expert in. Um, even your first speech, like you had just finished going through that program, you felt a level of seniority to these incoming freshmen, um, so it felt like the stakes were lowered. Uh, you had just finished that experience so like it was fresh on your mind you knew what you were talking about John always feels super confident talking about vitamins or anything health related because he is always in that Baldo loves talking about sales because he's great at that you guys know your skills and you're willing to talk about them because you just know them so well you don't even need to write it down and that's kind of like you know I guess we mentioned I, I act the point like you you're only ever able to truly act on stage when you don't need to think about your lines anymore so like even though it's a really heavy amount of memorization I literally look like a crazy person walking around spitting out all of my lines as if they're one long monologue one long monologue so that when I get on stage I have no emotion attached to them they're literally just an etching in my brain and I can get on stage and interact with the other people and I know the words so well I'm not thinking about those I'm thinking about how is this scene making me feel and you don't even really need to act after that yeah. it's just like you authentically saying it and you're not even thinking about shit what's my next line it's I know these lines I'm, it's gonna come out of my mouth it's muscle memory at this point now I get to actually play with the other person and interact with them so do you think do you think maybe a lot of people are worried about being on camera because A, they're not confident in what they're talking about, and B, maybe, I don't know what B is. <laughs> just well, I, like I, I definitely think confidence, right? it, you know, like. Let me give you a, a tip in that regard specifically mm. for, for someone that is wants to be on camera, they want to get in front of people, and they're an entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, you're always pitching, you're always selling right. all the time. You just have to. ABC. Yep. Uh, I'm, I'm ABS. Always be storytelling. Always be storytelling. I like that. Right? <laughs> um, one of the I like abs, too. 
<laughs> That's not what the hell he was talking about. But I like that. I like that. What, what's interesting is that um, when I was well, – I'm working on my second book, which is more about how to tell your story, right? And there was – Smile, you're there on was camera. Someone <laughs> hey, what's up? Welcome. Hi, how's it going? Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so there's someone that I, f I filmed. His name is John Paul DeZoria, local founder of Patron and John Paul, Paul Mitchell. Paul, John pa and Paul Mitchell Systems. And we, for the pilot for the TV show that we had done, we got three days to spend with him. We got to film him and spend a, a lot of time around him. And John Paul's a natural sales guy. and But he's not the most eloquent speaker. You know, he's not like super sophisticated. He's more a little bit raw from the streets type sales guy. And I was like, what is it about this guy that makes him a really good storyteller? And because he's not like one of the best storytellers I know is Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks. He's like yeah. the pinnacle of just his, he's amazing. And John Paul's not that. He's not this eloquent speaker. He's, he's not um, someone that is shy or he's more salesy, but it was something more than that. So back to your, your thing about confidence. And it was his perspective was less about sales. It was more about he believes in his heart of hearts that if you wash your hair with a Paul Mitchell product, condition it and everything else, you are going to look better and you're going to feel better. Yeah. If you drink a shot of Patron, you're not only going to feel better, of course, after a shot of Patron, but your life is going to be better because you're drinking the handcrafted best tequila on the market with a bottle that was specially made for you with a red ribbon around it. He had this level of just knowledge that when you consume his drinks or you buy his products, it's going to make your life better. So it was his conviction. It's, not, it's a difference from confidence. Confidence you can kind of fake, but conviction is like, no, if you have my product, your life is going to be better. And that's what I tell people when you're getting on camera for the first time worry less about confidence and like if you believe in your product which you guys do you live and breathe when you're at your events you're like i gotta have me a slenderella i don't know what the <laughs> hell is in that stuff i'm gonna have <laughs> but when you talk to you guys you've done the homework the research you've tested it on yourself you got a lot of customers you have a lot of conviction that this stuff is truly going to help you feel better or deal with an issue that you're facing right now or it's going to raise your vitality or just make you feel a certain way you have conviction because belief in your product or service and that to me is the key to being a great storyteller and telling your story well even if you're not a great orator so to speak i like that conviction is everything i, I think about uh how to influence and win friends right how to yep. what's the title right how to win friends, to win friends and influence people. there we go so the great thing about it is it is in the conviction and the art of the sale. And you talk about an entrepreneur, and this is – I had this talk with someone earlier this week. Started a business, hired a business coach. The things of how do I present myself? I don't feel confident presenting myself all the time, right? Because I got to go out there and basically throw myself in front of someone and convince them why they should buy my product. And – it's funny because most people who sell you're like you already lost the battle like if you don't know how to convince me that I need this I'm not gonna pay attention to you and I love the movie Wolf of Wall Street I love Scorsese you, I mean you probably have your own directors that you love too but the idea that he talks about at the very end he's like sell me this pen is the most simplest thing in the world 
but literally when you ask people to do something like that they get so overwhelmed they're like I don't know how to do it it's like it's the most simplest thing what do you need it for write down my number I don't have a pen here you go just as simple as that oversimplifying it right but the conviction of saying you need this product you want this Starbucks coffee coffee places all over the world why do you want this because every time you come in you know exactly what you're getting we're gonna remember your name make it exactly how you wanted it we're gonna leave you alone after you get done with it we won't kick you out and you're gonna have the cleanest bathrooms in the world it, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because I I go on coffee dates all the time and and uh, and I'd always choose Starbucks because it's like look just come with me they're like do you really want to go to Starbucks there's this over there there's that over there I was like look just come with me and then we go and you know you're gonna find comfortable seats exactly. there's always plenty of seats right and then as soon as you walk in it's like hey Baldo what are you looking for and I was like well, I want some of this, and it's like, great, we also have that special roast, you like, great, let's do that, and then whatever he or she wants, right, and then it's like, that's awesome, I was like, I know, like, that's <laughs> <laughs> and it's always the right size cup, no matter yeah. where it is in the world that you are at, right, like, and it's like, and there's a confidence in that, right, like, I, there's a confidence, and there's a conviction that that's a good coffee, you know what I go in there a lot for, besides the coffee, is just their water, because they have, like, the cleanest filtration system, mm. And it's always like, hey, I, I always have a big old jug of water. It's like, can you just fill this up? They're like, yeah, sure. Wow. Yeah, so. that, that's cool. And so it kind of leads <laughs> into the whole idea of the entrepreneur's aspect. Like you talk about sales and you talk about the confidence, the conviction. Tell us about why in the world are you a storyteller? Is it because people need someone to tell the story for them because they don't have that conviction and that confidence? Um, for me, it was I had an opportunity to – I was looking for a different career path. I was a high-tech startup guy, had a huge rocket ship that took off then exploded in the air. It was a terrible disaster in terms of a company. We raised $7 million, had 32 people working for us, seven customers just doing really well. And then the dot-com crash happened and uh, that company just came to the earth and exploded. Then 9-11 happened after that and we were, that company was done. Then I did a couple of other things. One was successful, one, one wasn't, so I made a little bit of money. And then I wanted to do something different. I wanted out of high tech. And that put me looking for different things. And my best friend said, hey, you want to do a television show about women CEOs raising capital in Texas in the high tech sec sector. I'm like, sure. I didn't know what that meant. And I started helping her five hours a week, 10 hours a week, 20 hours a week. And we got a paid gig to do a video for the University of Texas filming Dr. George Kuzmetsky, one of the first billionaires in Texas. And while we're filming him, it's kind of a profile piece where my, my best friend, she was on camera as the host. Dr. Kosmetsky, Dr. K, was the on, he was the guest. We're profiling him, and she was his mentee. And while we're doing the interview, he says, hey, Ingrid, to get a perspective of my profile and the legacy that you're trying to make here, why don't you interview two of my other mentees? And Ingrid's like, yeah, let's do it. Who are they? One was Michael Dell, and the other one was Red McCombs, the founder of Clear Channel. <laughs> so on my first video ever paid, I got to film three billionaire entrepreneurs. And they had crazy different stories. All these guys were self-made. One double PhD, incredibly brilliant, Dr. K., Red McCombs came from Spur, Texas, showed up at the University of Texas on a bus with a dime in his pocket, and then Michael Dell, who started in his dorm room, used to hide computer parts in his bathtub so his parents wouldn't know he was really not in school. He was <laughs> selling computers. Red, Red McCombs is also the uh, dealer, 
Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. He was the number one car dealer sh owner in the country of before, before he got out of it. Him and his name is plastered all over UT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's because well, 50, I knew that, 50 million dollars he gave these movies. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was in that experience that I got to hear these incredibly inspiring stories. And I was, I didn't know about stories, storytelling, nothing. I just wanted to go share what I'd learned and what happened. And it's just like, oh my God, you got to hear about Red and you got to hear about Michael and you got to hear about Dr. K. And it just, one thing led to another, put me down this path. And 90% of the content, I've done 800 videos in the last 15 years and 90% were have been about entrepreneurs and founders from really big names, just founder of Starbucks and Dell and all the way down to folks like yourself. They're just in the early stages of getting their companies going um, to mid-level folks. I mean, that's what I do. I'm capturing stories on camera to inspire or inform or just help other entrepreneurs learn how to launch and grow their business. That is what has been kind of my inspiration. It's what I love. It's what I love filming. It's what I love sharing. And it's what I love doing. That's kind of so where it comes and from. And so right now you're working on some classes is that like a, some uh, I guess some seminars or, or so as I was figuring out I've been doing this for 15 years about six or seven years ago I decided to really figure out what I wanted to do with my life because I didn't want to be a video producer for the rest of my life because it can be challenging at times I started writing a book that's how this came about because I had just filmed Gary Keller the founder of Keller Williams and he had written his book called uh, him and Jay Papasan had written a book called The One Thing yeah and I filmed him speaking to a group of entrepreneurs, and it just hit me right time, right place, right moment in my life. I'm like, wow, that's a good book. And it's a great book, yeah. I decided to make my one thing writing a book. Not because I wanted a book, because if I was writing a book, it could help me figure out what I wanted to do. So every day, 6 o'clock in the morning, I'd work an hour on the book. And it just put me down this path of, self-discovery, introspection, being like, okay, the book, whatever, but it put me on this path that I want to still capture stories. I want to inspire the other entrepreneurs. I want to help them tell their story. And it just kind of slowly, the onion kept peeling. And I'm like, okay, I could do this. I should make an online course, kind of like a book. I started working on an online course. I started looking at other ideas and concepts. And then one day it kind of clicked after a couple years and it was like, wow, there's, there's Rosetta Stone if you want to learn a language. Why couldn't I make a platform to help founders learn how to create, tell, and share their story? And it didn't hit me overnight. It was like uh, 2,000 plus days I worked on this book every day. So it was like in the course probably five, 600 days the idea started becoming clear. And so that's my focus now. I've got a book called Start With Story. And then I uh, have an online course called Create Your Story from Scratch, which is coming out this fall. Uh, well, not beta, but the next version of that. And then I have a second book and a second course. So in three years, I'll have three books, three courses, and then I'll have an entire library of video content behind a, a firewall, a freemium model, where people can access videos to learn how to create and tell and share their story. That's kind of the big vision of where I'll be going for the next 10 years. That's or, awesome. Or however long. And it's funny because none of that shit's taught to entrepreneurs. No one teaches this to anyone other than someone who goes out of their way to find someone else to say, hey, I figure if I'm starting a business, I need to learn how to be able to tell people what the hell I'm doing. Or but like I know a lot of entrepreneurs who take acting and improv classes because that's the closest thing. Mm -hmm. So yours is way more tailored. Yeah. 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 Well, it's 
I look at it this way. Like, let's take a typical entrepreneur, and, and we'll, we'll use nutritionist, health and wellness coach, right? We see a lot of those, right? And we were talking to someone this morning. They just got a certification to do nutrition, and they're launching an online, I don't know, business in September, two months from now, and they're nervous as hell. And it's funny because, like, you know this from talking to all these people. It's like all the little things that they need to do in order to get their business off the ground. The marketing aspect is probably the biggest question mark, right? Because when Balder and I started, I told him, I said, the medical marketing that people do in my, my line of work, they hire a very pretty female, and they basically give them a bunch of business cards and pens and cookies and say, go to this doctor's office down the road and tell them that, we're open for business and to refer patients. Oh in. my gosh, I'm so honored that I was the female you guys. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> of course, right? Allison thinks that. Okay, we never sent you. Anywhere. Full we, disclosure: yeah, we, I'm full of shit. Yeah, so. we, we never sent you anywhere. <laughs> we kept you in house and worked and made we're you work. You, you're staying here with yeah, us. yeah. We needed you to stay in house. So like, it was funny because when we started, I was like, we got to tell people what we're doing, and it's brand new. No one's gonna know what we do, so we're gonna sound like a broken record, and we're gonna kind of perfect it, our elevator speech after a while, right? And so I think that's the number one thing that most people have a problem with is the elevator speech. Once you get past that, then they say, okay, now I got a business on my hands. I'm starting to like bring some income in. What do I do with it? How do I scale? The idea is not like you need to get more products in here to sell more. It's saying you need to get the word out that you have this product or this service, right? You convinced me that I need to buy it. Where can I get more of it? How can I follow up with it? How can I continue to buy more products? Why should I even listen to you to begin with? And so that's where it comes to the problem, right? Storytelling. Baldo said when we started off, he says, you have to know the, the idea, like me, know me, trust me, pay me. If you can figure that out in sales, you're golden. Yeah, well, it's like the, the and, and it goes with storytelling, right? Because it's like people have to want to get to like you, to want to wanna get to know you. Right, and then once they get to know you, then there's some trust being built. And once they trust you, it's like whatever it is that you need, like we'll help you, or or like we want some of that. And, and, and like we we're so proud about Slenderella, for example, that like anytime we bring out a new product, there's already that trust of like whatever that is, I want it. Exactly. Like, you know, and, and that's and that's cool, right? But there w- that would have never happened without the whole like, you know, the story behind it. And 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 I guess I've never thought about it as put the story together in film kind of deal, but it's still the same concept. Right, like I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, in there's subtleties between pitching, between selling, and between sharing a story. There's a lot of overlap, but the biggest difference when you're sharing a story, you're telling a story, is you're trying to make an emotional connection. That is the biggest difference. That is the core secret of storytelling. Because if I can make an emotional connection with you, I can facilitate an exchange that is exponentially better than anything else. Because if I try and sell or pitch you something, your defenses go up automatically. Sure. All right? You're like, okay, you can smell a pitch or a sales yep. Yep. a mile away. Yep. And subconsciously, you don't even notice it because we're just we're groomed that way. Uh-huh. But if I tell you a story, you know, you're kind of leaning in. And you're like, oh, that's really good. And if I relate that story to you or someone you care about, you're like, wow, that's pretty amazing. So I always tell people what you want to do is find – a way to connect with someone on an emotional level because that facilitates trust, it's more interesting, it's more memorable, it triggers curiosity, novelty, which are ways that to make the brain memory more, pay attention to. Uh, there are a lot of scientific and, and uh, 
uh, neuroscience reasons that story is so effective in comparison to sales and pitching because that's why you want to do it. Ultimately, it comes down to chemicals. Our body, as you guys know, is this cacophony cocktail of all these amazing chemicals that get released by our brain. So to, I'll digress a little bit and then I'll come back. So if I share a piece of information with you guys, two parts of the brain get triggered. But if I share a compelling story with you, six to seven different parts of the brain are going to be activated. So by default, more things are going on in the brain, more chemicals are getting released, I have a higher probability of connecting with you because more things are happening. More synapses are firing. Those, f those synapses trigger these chemicals to be released. And there's like a cortisol. Yep. What is, when you release a cortisol in the brain, it's the attention thing. Uh, that's what kept us alive when we were roaming the earth. Yep. You're always looking around. So that's one thing you want to do. You want to get someone's attention with a story. Dopamine. Dopamine things that it's like a pleasure. You want to make more and more and more. Then oxytocin, the love hormone. That makes you, it makes why we're social beings, a lot of these things. So I've, I've talked to a lot of neuroscientists about why, how all this stuff happens. And so if I'm telling you six or seven, is it scratching? Oh, we got Oh, she just needs a technical thing. Um, <laughs> as I'm telling you a story, I'm triggering synapses in the brain that are releasing these chemicals that are happening, which makes gets you to feel a certain way, an emotional connection. So now you're engaged. Yep. And that's why you want to listen. And you're more likely to remember it, and it's going to relate to you in one way, shape, or form. So I always tell folks... Back to your earlier question, it's you're, tr you're sharing a story because you want to make an emotional connection so that now we have a level of trust or I've got your interest. Somehow, some way, we make, let me take a step back here for a second. We didn't realize that we knew this for a long time, but it wasn't until the last 40 years that we've been able to observe things and do research that we make decisions based on emotions, not on analytics. We, yeah. like, we like to think we're analytic beings, but we're not. No way. Yep. And a lot of scientists have proved a lot of research to back this up. That's why you want to do it. Because if, if I can hit your emotional centers... You'll buy anything. Exactly. That's, oh, that's, what, it, that's what it comes down to. Impulse items at the supermarket. Literally right there. Do you need it? Do you not need it? Eh, it's right there. I'll just grab it, right? It's emotional, right? Because it's more and like sugar. <laughs> and sugar. So you talk about all those emotional connections, which commercials play into that, right? I think about Subaru. We have a Subaru. I can't wait for our kids to be able to drive that Subaru because it's going <laughs> to stay around just like the commercials, which means we're going to have to get a dog for them too, right? Because they have the dogs in the commercial, right? And they show the dog that there grows up with the owner that's got the gray hairs on it. And it's like, it makes you cry. It tugs at you an emotional connection that makes you feel like this corporation actually gives a shit about you. Right. Right? A story that's told correctly replaces the referral. It's essentially is the referral, right? That medical marketing, go down the road. That doctor doesn't know who I am. But the second we have lunch and he finds out I'm a family guy and, you know, I'm from Austin and, you know, my parents did this, blah, blah, blah. There's the trust. There's relationship. I will refer over to you. You're having to bypass all that because people don't have time to go down the street. It's rare that somebody goes and knocks on doors and does a door-to-door -door business guy anymore because nobody wants that. I mean, I don't even answer the doorbell when it rings at the house because I'm like, I'm not expecting anyone. They can text me. So that element of surprise catches people off guard. And if you only have their attention for 30 seconds, 
and you can't explain yourself and g gain that trust, then you're lost. And that's really hard to do. Baldo has worked sales where he's done events, just like what we've met at before, to where you have five, ten seconds to make an impression, gain that trust, and then that return, grab their attention and say, here's why you need it. Oh, I w and it's funny because literally, if you tell the right story, you tug at an emotion and a connection to the brain where it's all of a sudden they're like, oh, well, that would help my husband. Oh, that would help my daughter. Oh, you know what? I've been dealing with that too. That's going to help me. And all you just said was, what brings you in today? How can I help you? What do you think about that? Have you ever tried that before? And it's funny because the lead-in questions are everything, mm -hmm. right? And so the story is basically saying if you get good at it, imagine, not only do you captivate the attention, but now you can direct them in the way you want to, the lead-in, right? What are, you, what are you trying to sell me? If you're a good salesperson, they, don't, they know it's coming. But they're almost like, all right, tell me, what, what is it? Like, what is that, right? You know it's going to be a big – oh, that's not as much as I thought. That's well worth it. It's like how do you sell a $6,000 product to someone? You make them feel like they need it, that they're going to be lost without this. And you talk about pain points all the time, right, mm -hmm. for, for sales too. Cause it's like, and it goes back to the emotional tie-in. <coughs> well, yeah. One interesting you know, I focus uh, – quite a bit now on CBG companies, consumer packaged goods companies, and you kind of you guys kind of fit in that category. You have a service and CBG products. But what's fascinating for me is that people in the health space, health and wellness in general, inevitably the entrepreneur started because they had a physical issue in their life or someone close to them had a physical disease, mm -hmm. something debilitating. And man, that is just golden in terms of your ability to articulate your why about why you're doing this. Um, and it's very powerful when mm -hmm. people ask you, so why did you start that, you know, that um, well, that Bliss product? Yeah. Why did you start Slenderella? Or why did you start this butter coffee product? Or a lot of those things along those lines, it's just amazing that health is the instant connector and like for instance, I got into intermittent fasting last year. And the reason I did it is because my sister Linda was trying to get healthier and we'd hit a plateau with her health. And I said, I think you should try intermittent fasting. And she's like, really? And I did it with her just to, to kind of go along with her. And now I'm able to explain to people what happened in my life, my health journey. And because I, I dropped like three percentage points on my body fat. I'm all, I wasn't trying to lose weight, but I just did. Yeah. Um, I'm only eating twice a day now. I'm spending less money on food and spending less time preparing food. Um, I'm more cognitively awake and alert all the time now. I'm, I'm eating better because I'm only having to eat, eat twice a day, and I really focus on the ingredients that I eat. Yeah. So that's the in, in your space, I always tell folks you have this rich asset library in your personal story or the reason you started your company, or the customers that you're helping. I'm confident if we went through and asked 100 people that have taken your products, I see a lot of things for hangovers right here, or um, hair, skin and nails, muscle endurance. You could just talk to your customers, and in there would be these rich wealth, like uh, well of stories that would sell your product for you. You could yeah. just explain it in third person. Oh, you should talk to this person. That person lost 10 pounds, or this person can sleep eight, eight hours a night. This podcast is produced by Flabsta Fitness, Inc. 
Flabs to Fitness is an online wellness company that specializes in mindful eating, personalized workout programs, and offers a subscription workout program for 20-minute workouts you can do anywhere. It's also a social media content firm for creation and scheduling of content and engagement with your fans on a variety of platforms, including this podcast. Find out more at www.flabstofitness.com. You know, the reason we came together for Christina Wise, you know, she got into because she almost died. Yeah, she's got an incredible story too, and and it it was funny the first time that we went to Christina Weiss's event, a gentleman stood up, and I'll never forget it. He talked about how he had cancer, and he said the most important thing to me after a while was my health. I wanted to invest in, I didn't know how to do it, so I wanted to learn everything I could to make myself better because I'm no good to anyone if I'm not healthy, and that's most people's journey into health and wellness. I had a debilitating issue, blah blah blah, and it's interesting because that resonates with people. It makes people feel like I can be that person too. You lost 60 pounds, I can do that too. Oh, everyone used to think this about you, but now you changed it, boom, I can do that too, right? Because I did it. I wanna share this message with you. Everything that we've ever created here has been based off a personal experience or someone's personal experience. And every time that someone comes up and says something to us, I will take that over clinical research any day of the week, and I'm, I'm evidence-based, only because facts tell, stories sell. Mm-hmm. I had a lady here earlier, and I said, if you came in and I told you how great this product was and how it can reduce this and increase this, blah, 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 it wouldn't mean half as much as if someone was sitting behind me and said, I've lost 30 pounds off that. Here's a photo of me before done give me two bottles that's amazing because literally that did all the marketing i didn't have to do anything and it resonates in ways that marketing knows exactly how to get to the core right if they're making food products that are literally designed to make us more addictive then they say let's make that addictive food only served around thanksgiving and christmas let's take it back to when your grandmother used to make that and it made you feel good as a kid and don't you want to pass that along to your kids? Don't you want them to have that same experience that you felt when you were younger? All of a sudden, you're tugging on something very incredible. And it's like, damn, you struck a chord with me. Mm. I guess I have to do that now, right? Yeah. And it's weird because I never wanted to be in sales. Mm. I never wanted because I always thought you're selling a product that you might not believe in. You might have to sell it. Imagine I sell cell phones, and I don't care about it but I know everyone needs to sell one. How can I sell cell phones in a way that I feel good about at the end of the night? Because at the end of the day, it's all about the money and the sales, right? But truthfully, we know if we're hawking a product that we believe in and it makes people's lives enriched, then we can go to bed at night knowing that we did a good job. And that's what I really had to kind of change my approach and say, I don't feel comfortable selling it myself, but I have to. Baldo was the salesperson, right? Oh, this is how you do it, I do it. I said, and it was reversed. He had to learn all the science behind everything. I had to learn all the sales. So when we would talk to people, he would get to a point talking about like hormones or vitamins and he would stop. I don't, you know what, this is a John conversation. I'm gonna pass you off to John, he'll finish this. When I'd get to the sales part, you know what, this is a Baldo question, let me send you off to Baldo. And both of us like, no, you need to continue this. You need to finish this, this is how you do it. And so when you finally get to that point where you make a sale, 
where you help someone feel better and you give them the right information, it's like this extra gear that goes into and it reaches this part of your brain that triggers dopamine and serotonin. And you're like, I like that feeling. I want to do that again. And then you're like, I want to sell again. And it's weird. If you've ever sold anything before, it's incredible to close the deal, right? When they sign on the dotted line, they hand you that credit card. Yeah. And it's incredible because some people live for that. They don't care. They'll sell cars. They'll sell mattresses, the house, whatever. Just give me something to sell. I'll sell a pen, you know? But I've always believed that whatever you're selling should be enriching. And if you can bring something positive to someone, you don't have to sell it. Exactly. Well, that's a cool. That's a cool thing from Baldo too. Like, he. Is my mic on? Yeah. Um. Okay. We yeah. Didn't hear you. He. Uh. I mean, that's one reason why. Like, you were willing to come work with this company originally. You were selling stuff, and you love selling, and you're good at it, and you were making good money. But you were like, I don't really feel like I'm helping anyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was there was definitely a time where I, where I felt like I was helping people in the process of learning how to sell and. and know I was selling knives right selling Cutco knives and and uh, and that was great and honestly I impacted a lot of people's lives and you know I remember people saying like well I li- I've lost weight because now that I have great knives um, I'm cooking more at home and so now I'm not eating out and so there's a there is some correlation there right but uh, it was also easy for me to just like I'll work for two months and sell a bunch and then have a goal and hit that and then like I'm just gonna leave until I run out of money, because then I just come back and make some more money, you know, and, and uh, it, 13 years of that, right? Yeah. And so, And so then this opportunity came, and it's like, not only do I get to help my best friend, and we get to start something new and something fun, and, and I get to learn something new. I've always, I'm always, I'm, I'm always reading, because I always want to learn more stuff. And right now I'm learning mostly about health, because I want to get more proficient at this, obviously. Um, but at the same time, it's like, uh, you want to make an impact. You want to make a difference in people's lives, and 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 I, f- and I feel like we are now, especially because uh, the more you learn about the health world in this in, in this in this country, especially, the more you feel like okay, if there's something I can do about it, then it feels like a responsibility. Yeah, definitely along those lines. You, you you mentioned something. Both of you guys hit on something that's really important to me in terms of my health journey. Talked about my personal health. But when I that original idea that was for the television show with my best friend Ingrid. It, we ended up actually selling it and creating and producing a television show for CNBC called American Made. And this was going to air on Tuesday nights, primetime, 7 o'clock p.m., right after The Apprentice on CNBC. American Made? Yeah, it's called American Made. This is 2005 when we were shooting it, and it started airing in 2006. And Ingrid was going to be the on-camera talent. I'm the producer-director. And she says, you know, I really want to get on shape for the camera. She's already in good shape, but she wanted to be ripped. And, li- and it's like, ah, oh, she's going to do this diet called Body for Life. And I, I'd never heard about it. It's a derivative of the South Beach diet, essentially. And I was like, well, I'll do it with you. I'd never done it a diet in my life. I worked out my entire life. I grew up in New Mexico. I love to eat. Just I mostly was a runner, did weights, whatever, sports like that. And as you guys know, it's a 13, well, if you ever done that, this particular one, it's 13 weeks, and you start out with no carbs, and you slowly introduce carbs into your diet, and then you do, so with I- you're starting out with low carb, no carb, low carb, and then you do hit interval workouts, high intensity interval training type workouts. And so for 13 weeks, I did it with her, and it was hell. Those first three weeks, because I love tortillas. <laughs> I, I grew up yeah, from Mexico. Tortillas yeah. <laughs> and, and bread, and I didn't realize I was having a coke a day. 
didn't know that until I went on this diet. There was a lot of things that were like totally crazy and just profoundly awakening to me. And I thought, well, this is cool. I got in great shape. I felt pretty good. And I'm like, yeah, maybe I'm into this. Maybe I'm not. It was fun to do. We got done. We started starting shooting the next week. And then I saw a picture of myself before and then after. And it was just like from the chest up. And my face, I was like, oh, my God. I couldn't believe how I looked fat. I was never fat. But I had this thickness right in the, the neck and just around the face. Just because I was partying and eating, just like normal people do. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, I looked like terrible. I felt <laughs> I'd, I'd never seen that difference in my life. And it was that photo. It was before and after. And this is something incredibly powerful. So if any founders, wellness product folks, you guys yourself, in a before and after image is one of the most powerful storytelling tools that you have because it's instantaneous. In the health and wellness space, you can usually find great or terrible before photos. Everybody has photos they don't want to share. You want to find the worst photo possible, compare it to where they're at right now. And it's something that everyone can get their arms around. So it's a storytelling technique. It's a sales technique because it works so fast. It's relatable to anybody. In the health and wellness space, we're generally showing how much we've improved or how much we've progressed in a matter of seconds. Yeah. And it's one of the things I, I, I preach. I, I use Tony Horton I, in the book. I talk about his particular story. He's the founder of P90X. And if, if you, to this day, infomercials, about 70 years have been running. They're mm -hmm. still on television today. Go watch them middle of the night, Saturday, Sunday mornings. You can see them. What do they do? They've got before and after photos the entire way. Uh -huh. Whether you've got this new Instapot chicken cooker that shows you a picture picture of the kitchen before. It's got 20 different utensils and food spread all over the place. And then the, the other photo is there the cooker and just one little device. Everything's beautiful and nationally organized. Or when Pina in the X case, they say a lot of people that were not, they were fat around the gut or just overweight. And then after 90 days, they're just shredded. Yep. And so if you watch these infomercials, most of them are still using the same basic concept of before, give your product, this is how you help them, after. And that can be visual or it can be written. Either one works from that standpoint. Because people associate, yeah, that's where I can relate to that person. I don't feel good. I'm thick around the neck. I've got a little belly. I've got maybe too much in my junk in my trunk. But man, I want to go there. And I only need 90 days to do it. Let's do that. So that, that really, that was the start of my health journey. It wasn't because I wanted to lose weight. I just liked how I looked better in the photo afterwards. And I just started pulling that thread, understanding that in a Coke, what is there, eight teaspoons of sugar? Is that what it is now? It's, <laughs> more, than it's more than the daily recommended serving, which is six, which I still think is too high. Like but crazy. yeah. But it but wasn't until I had that experience that I started looking at the back of labels. Yep. And I'm like, oh, my God, how many carbs are in that thing? Whoa. And that's how my health journey started. And it's just a constant little things like that as opposed to big monumental changes. And now I, I know everything I eat every single day because I've just paid attention to it. So, so during those times when you were going through that, did you notice a difference in your performance in, in working? Um, the biggest difference I noticed was that post-eating whoop. Yeah. If you have, if uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm half Mexican. I go eat a massive Mexican burrito, enchiladas, tacos, and with drinks go with it. I'm like Argh! afterwards.
But now, you know, I have a really nutritious, dense lunch with uh, green pistachio energy, energy balls that I make. I make a green matcha latte with about eight, nine different ingredients. And then I make a spinach protein smoothie with eight ingredients, super dense and rich. And yeah, I feel a little bit because I put so many things in it. Maybe for about 20, 30 minutes, I'm a little bit, but then after that, I'm like, bam, I'm ready to rock and roll, man. I've just fueled my body, and there's no, I need to take an hour nap type thing, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the biggest differences that's, yeah, that I sure. learned very early on was the heaviness that comes with eating traditional meals. Yeah. Um, and th there's, there's almost like a pride for that in some people, right? Like, it's almost like if you don't feel like that, it's like, <laughs> I, didn't, I don't think I had enough. <laughs> like, it's like, this wasn't good enough or something like that. Yeah, which is backwards, but I think that I don't have true. that anymore. I think maybe <laughs> I don't have that anymore. Yeah. I used to. I ate, I ate my whole plate, you know, and I could eat another one, right? <laughs> I mean, because Mexican food comes on a big plate. It like if it's on a plate, you got to eat it, right? My parents are like, you're not gonna let that food go to waste. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll eat like the three enchiladas and the three servings of rice and beans and the chips and salsa that's on there, and it's just like. The idea is you're supposed to feel bloated and feel like crap and have a nap afterwards. When we go to family events now, and I'm sure you notice this too, especially with your family, they're all tired after they eat. Mm -hmm. And they just sit around. They don't want to do anything. They don't want to get up and do it. They just kind of like. It's like my dad likes to uh, un unbuckle his yep. belt. Right <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And well, he's especially like, okay, after cool. Thanksgiving, <laughs> right? They think uh, that Thanksgiving, the tryptophan, the turkey's making them sleepy because they're sitting on the couch. And I'm like, you had stuffing and rolls and pecan pie. It's and the like carbs. It's the carbs. It's a sugar crash. And that's what you're feeling. You're like, I don't feel that anymore, so I feel better. And so it's kind of crazy because indirectly you got healthier only because someone else influenced you and said, hey, why don't you, why don't you like consider this diet too? And you're like, yeah, might as well. I'll do it. And all of a sudden now you're like, I don't ever want to go back to that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what's funny because there's a lot of storytelling with the food too, right? Because if you think about, like, we always talk about how there's that e emotional, like, love to the food, right? It's almost like if you don't have seconds, then you don't love me or, or you know, kind of mm. deal. And, and then there's, like, we've done this all our lives. Your grandma used to cook this and I used to cook this and we make it this way. And, that, and there's a whole story behind it, right? So you almost feel bad not to join in on that story. <laughs> have, you, have you watched Chef's Table? on Netflix. And no, I haven't heard it's great though. So, it's it's weird. So, we can all admit there's fans of food, right? Like especially in Austin, like foodies. we're fans, we're foodies, right? We love certain restaurants, we love it when certain companies come out with a new product, right? It's like, "Oh, they got a new version of this and they did it with this," all right? Well, Chef's Table is that for fans of food. They will show you how the chef got their start where the food comes from and i remember like when we first started watching it we were sitting there like on pins and needles like they're going to show us where they get the chicken and how they raise the chicken and like how they're growing the vegetables and you're like yeah that's awesome and you get like excited and like all they're doing is just showing like slicing butter and putting in a <laughs> dish and a little oil a little sprinkle of pepper Ooh, that looks awesome and but that's what the videos are right like you see all those cooking videos and they showed like the lapse time and all that and I'm like, we're just watching someone cook a fucking dinner. Like, yeah. how's that exciting? Now, now let me ask you this: uh, the music, how how does that play into into video into storytelling? Ooh, good one. In, in the video production, yeah. See, I would say that from a video standpoint, that music is the Achilles heel of mediocre video producers and directors to get them that next level. Um, it's so important to me. I try to only hire editors 
that know music or have played in a band. Hmm. Nice. It, it's yeah. because there is night and day difference between the rough cuts they're going to send you. You're asking either I'm picking music or they're picking music. I, I, I like them to do it because they're cutting. They like to cut to music. And so it's so important because even video from a general standpoint, you have to have great audio. Your video, you can fake the video. You can you can repair a bunch of things, but if your audio sucks, your video is going to suck in general. I mean, you really have to do it. But if you have great music, then you can like, okay, now we can count. So depending on how I start out the video, the first 15 seconds are everything. If I can set the tone with a energetic, you know, rock and roll piece type thing, or I'm just filming for this uh, company called Chinook Cedary, a natural sunflower seed company. And they had this Texas swing band playing at this lab event. And we're and he was asking what music should we pick. I'm like, I love that Texas swing band. It kind of makes you feel like you're just hanging out with the good people, just having a good old time. Or um, if I'm doing any, a story-based emotional piece about someone that started, had a really tough time in her life when she started out, I want a little bit slower, evocative, emotional piece. Because subconsciously, it's pulling you into the story you don't even know it. You don't even recognize it. You're hearing it before you see it, and uh, and we're seeing it now. A lot of like Alexa and other things out. Voice is going to be a big deal. You're going to learn a lot more about voice in the next five years. It's such a powerful element in video production because I can control. Uh, control is a, a, a loose word here. I can almost dictate how you feel right when you start watching the video. You're going to see something, but you're also going to hear something if you do it right. And it's going to put you in an emotional kind of receptive format for whatever I'm about to deliver you. So it kind of sets the tone, if yes. you will. It lets their guard down. Like That's that. incredible. I mean, it is because you hear the strings. And they. I've always – you Sports Center, ESPN. Years ago, they started doing all those tug-at-your-heart segments. Make-A-Wish Foundation, and they show the cancer kid, you know, going and meeting his favorite player and all that. We can't get enough of it. Right, like you know, front row yeah. and all that stuff too. It's like the same deal. It's like you root for the good story. Mm -hmm. Why does the good guy always win? Is because we deep down we need that feel good. Because shit happens throughout our day, bad stuff happens, life happens, but we still want to know there's good out there in this world, right? And so that tugs at you in ways that can manipulate your thinking, but at the same time, it can bring people together. Mm -hmm. You know, and I mean. They do it telethons, oh you know. Yeah, all the time. Telethons are still a thing. <laughs> I mean, it's incredible. Stand up to cancer. They have like six channels running that continuously, and it's all the celebrities out there, and telling a story about someone else. Mm -hmm. Here's a story about Jimmy that he had a problem with this, blah blah blah, and it's like, yeah, I don't know who that is, but I'm gonna help them out. Well, it's almost feel you feel bad if you don't. Yeah, like you yeah. didn't help out Jimmy <laughs> with cancer. Like, dude, he's sitting there, he's got cancer, man. Like, what, you're sitting there on your high horse. Driving your Tesla, yeah. help them out. Remember, as a kid, if you if you you're doing wh whatever where you were doing, you're sitting around your neighborhood, you're in your house, you're with your buddies, and you hear the ice cream truck. Yep. What do you do? Instantly, you're like looking down, you're <laughs> popping up. <laughs> Mom, get the coins, and you're running. Oh right? yeah. And it's like that's the power of great music. You can just change someone's like their purse. I'm getting goosebumps when I'm thinking about it because I get excited when I'm find the right musical piece and it's also one of the hardest things to do oh yeah uh, i have yeah, spent I I countless hours 
over just I, I remember one time three days straight I sat at my computer trying to find the right song for a three minute video I was doing for a startup I was so frustrated and then all of a sudden Sunday night about eight o'clock I'm slumped in my chair and I'm just I'm on this music stock library and I'm just button after button and then <laughs> that noise started I was like whoa I sat up I'm like oh my god is this it is this it and you have to make sure that the, the piece is going to work because the, the editor needs certain quiet segments they need peaks they hate valleys they need to start they need an ending can they chop it up and I'm like oh my god oh my god oh my god this is it this is it so I'm, I'm letting that song run and for the next it, like the first 30 seconds I knew we were going to work but now the next two were the most important and it just worked out so well and I went, I, it felt like I had an orgasm. Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> finally. Oh, yeah. A musical <laughs> video <laughs> orgasm. Like, only producers and directors still like Everyone's <laughs> <laughs> looking over at Lynn over there. It's like, <laughs> he's okay over there. <laughs> Especially if you got oh, your headphones on, too, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, you got oh, your yeah. headphones on, and you're like, what the hell is he doing in his chair over there, right? But music, the reason we're fans of music is because of what you said. Music is the soundtrack of our lives, it takes you back to a place nostalgia takes you to a place that's outside of here i still listen to music over podcasts and i know we're speaking on a podcast i understand that but the thing is music is music and if you don't get it you don't understand how it resonates with people right mm -hmm. and i mean we were talking to a musician today and it's incredible because it's like that person has to know how much of an influence they have on someone's life and you can imagine that that person's like discovering themselves growing up or like to find out who they are they just moved here and it's going to help them move to the next next place and i think you take something like country songs and i remember ray charles said this it's the stories it's the stories you can always resonate with country songs because there's a, a story about down in the dumps he picked himself up and it's like you know what i feel like that too if i'm down i want to listen to a, a, a sad story and what Tom York said it too with Anima that just came out. He goes, people don't make sad songs anymore. Mm. They need mm. to make sad songs because you need to feel that. Because mm -hmm. then it. Which is like he said, like the the moment people stop listening to sad songs, they no longer care about feelings. Hmm. Right? Because it's almost like you can connect you can connect with that, and it's almost like if you don't, then it's like you're just trying to shove it to the side and not feel it. And it's like I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm a big fan of music. Like I said, like we try to hire only editors that know music. Because it w automatically increases the quality of your video. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. No question about that. Cool. Like, I'm like, what am I going to play? I'm now I'm thinking, what am I going to play on the way home? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what am I going to listen Well, to see, you? we got a concert we're going to tonight. Oh, what are you going to? We're going to go see Rufus Del Sol. Ooh. It's an nice. electronic dance, and it's over at the Moody Theater. So you talk about acoustics and all that. I, you know what I noticed about directing? Especially when it comes to, not mo music videos. It's more of like directing concerts. It's almost like, I don't need to buy a ticket anymore because I'd rather watch the direction, even at ACL, like the directors who have like all the camera angles. I'm like, it looks a lot better through the camera lens than me sitting here in front of the stage mm. just because you capture the emotions. With a bunch of people just, <laughs> we went to, uh, to ACL like, what was it, two years ago? And they, uh, we were watching Radiohead and uh, <laughs> there was a couple like right in front of them just talking the whole time he's like to radio at some at some point he was like guys like this is my favorite song can y'all just shut up already no like way. <laughs> and they left they just left which is like last night or last year we saw paul mccartney i took my mom to see it and i was like it's paul mccartney right she grew up with the beatles listening to the beatles experiencing beatle mania and here she finally gets to see him and 
a mix of teens all the way to 70 year olds that are basically singing along to the same song and there's this group of girls standing next to me just talking their ears off about some party they're going to go to later in the night and I'm about to slap them because <laughs> I'm just like they're playing let it be can you just shut up for a minute and appreciate that this might not ever happen again you know but they didn't care mm-hmm. right so maybe they don't maybe that's not your target audience when it comes to storytelling but the idea is something's going to grab their attention right and it's whatever it is you have to basically adapt to what the consumer wants right because i'm sure you even know this in storytelling too you're like i think i got a good story you tell it and like now we don't like that story Mm -hmm. it's like oh shit i gotta tell it in a different way i gotta tell it from a different angle i mean how does that work do you ever find that when you do tell it it's like oh that didn't work yeah there's definitely one of the things you have to do i i recommend to folks get a really solid core story going and from just purely from founder standpoint Investors are going to resonate with a different part of your story from the press and media to customers, to advisors and board members, to employees. Investors are looking, they don't really care as much about the story, but they still do because what are they going to do when they leave the meeting with you? They're not going to go tell somebody about the pitch they just saw. They're going to tell you ideally about a story you shared with them about how your company is going to change the world. When it comes to the media, you want your story to make an impact on that reporter such that reporter feels their audience is going to love your story. So you want to tweak more of a human interest aspect to your story if you're pitching a reporter because ultimately their audiences are typically more interested in human type stories. Mm-hmm. When it comes to a customer, it's more about solving my pain. You know, you've got hopefully you don't want to have a you don't want to sell a vitamin, you want to sell a painkiller. Right. Because hopefully they have a migraine and my painkiller is going to solve your migraine like that. Sure. When it comes to employees, they want a cool place to work. So they want to know that they can bring their dog to the office, that they can wear workout clothes, (laughs) do whatever they do. They can be the best looking representative of the company (laughs) and give pens out. (laughs) (laughs) So Allison won. (laughs) So it's important that you have a great solid core story, but you have derivatives of it that are going to resonate with the different audiences. It doesn't mean you're going to please everybody, but I will say this, and I'm a big believer in this. Find people that want to drink your Kool-Aid or drink your Slenderella margarita (laughs) thing. Do not try and sell ice to Eskimos or try to to ram your story down someone's throat who doesn't care. And I'll give you a perfect example for me. You know, I used to go to this place here in town. They are always pitching bone broth to me. And bro- bone broth, I was kind of interested, whatever. It tastes good, kind of semi-healthy. Didn't really float my boat. And I'm like, and they're always trying to pitch me and sell them. I'm like, no, no. I'm like, I'm like, enough already. I told them, like, okay, I'm not going to buy it. Not me. I'm not your audience. No. It doesn't arrive me. Then my dog gets arthritis, really bad arthritis the point where he was having trouble walking and my sister calls me up and says oh that happened to my dog we put him on bone broth and rice menu the next day where did I go the place that was trying to sell me bone broth and it's because I had a need for bone broth I wanted the bone broth and now I'm listening I'm attentive tell me everything I went home I learned how to make my own bone broth I bought four or five different types I was a consumer of that bone broth kool-aid you know, but rather before they're trying to tell me a story, I could care less. It just wasn't in my mind. Now, I'm the same person, just something, an event happened to me that switched my thing. But you're better off going to find people that want 
the products that you offer, things that are going to help you with your adrenals, things that are going to help you sleep, things that are going to help you weight loss. If they're obese, they could care less, and they're, sh and they're shopping at, if they're getting their groceries at 7-Eleven and at McDonald's, they're not your guys' audience, no. you know? And so that's how you need to think about whatever product you're selling or service you're trying to offer is find people that want to drink your Kool-Aid so that when you tell them your story, it's going to resonate with them. And you still have to tweak it based on the type of audience it is that's going to be interested in your story. Um, but I think that's a really important uh, question or point to make. Yeah, and I, I think you also brought up a good point, too, relating to the dog story. You've probably been going to this place for how long? Oh, at that point? Four years. Okay. For all the entrepreneurs at home, I'll just leave you with this idea. You never know when you're going to get a client. So they might have said, "You're never." he's not buying bone broth. He's not going to buy it. And then one day he bought bone broth, right? The owner probably comes in. He Lynn finally bought it? What happened? Well, we were nice to him the entire time. We were respectful. We did whatever. And he remembered us because of that. If they were assholes to you, you would not have gotten back there. Yeah, 100%. It would have right. gone somewhere else. But the thing is incredible is that we had a guy who came in a year ago. He came in. Hadn't seen him in one year. He came in brought his wife. For whatever reason, experience or whatever, we thought maybe we, he didn't like us. No, he loved us. He couldn't wait to come back in again. He just, life. And it's cool because when you pass out a business card, you have to pass out 100 before you get one response. Right? Baldo taught me that. But imagine that that one response comes three years from now. Now, if you're a starting business, you can't have that. But that's how established businesses work. Right? You can't have everyone coming all at once, but if they're spread out over time, then you have a client base. Mm -hmm. Right? And it could be like, yeah, you know, I've been meaning to come in. I haven't seen you in forever. But what I've noticed is the stories. Mm -hmm. People follow us on Instagram. People watch the videos on Facebook. Where I've been listening to your podcast. I mean, a guy from high school saw me and said, I want to come in and see, blah, blah. He didn't come in until he, s he told me this. He says, I listened to your podcast. Mm -hmm. And that's all he said. He says, I want to come in and do blood work with you. Wow. I didn't even say, like, which podcast was it. I didn't it, just, it didn't matter. Yep. He listened. He went out of his way, listened to what I have to say, because I'm thinking, like, he didn't still think I was, I was, he thought I was probably full of shit. Then he heard me speak on this, here's maybe a story with someone else, and said, you know what? Let's do that. And so the art of storytelling, like Slick Rick said, uh, is a very, it's a very finesse piece of work. And you have to continue to harness it, just like a diet, right? You have to adapt. You have to fine-tune it. Look at what your faults are, and don't be afraid to address them because your weaknesses could be your strengths in the long run. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. as far as this platform goes, I know we're running out of time here. Let's talk about the platform real quick. Um, tell us about what's in store with this. Basically, what I've got right now, it's called StorytellingForEntrepreneurs.com. You can go to there anytime you want, 24-7. It's the web. Uh, I have two things. I have the book right now called Start With Storage. You can get on Amazon. And I have an online course that will be available in September. You can si pre-sign up for it right now. And I'm also going to be doing a workshop slash mastermind. It's going to be at Christina's house Nice. in September. It'll be my first ever workshop. I speak a lot. I'm a mentor at different groups, so I'm always in front of groups. But this will be my first personalized workshop. Um, and we're going to basically do a working day and a half session to help you learn how to create and tell your story. So those are the three primary offerings that I have right now. I also speak to different groups around the country. But first and foremost, it's the book and the course. And just sign up because I'm going to be doing a newsletter uh, starting about the time that the course is going to come out in September. 
just to start sharing a lot of things that we're talking about here, things that I've been preaching. Um, I, I do this every single day. I'm like learning more about the art and science of storytelling because I really think it can help any business owner launch and grow their business. And going back to passing out 100 business cards, remember this. If I tell you a story, you are seven times more likely to remember that than if I just share a piece of information with you. And it goes back to triggering more parts of the brain. So you actually, if you if you had a story with each business card, it takes more time, but I guarantee you're going to have a better impact from the people that you have an interaction with. Because people are going to tell that story to somebody else or it's going to lock in their brain. And they're going to remember that. They're going to remember, oh, my wife, oh, man, she needs that. She's got allergies coming up. I remember they have this vitamin-type shot that you can get. Or having trouble sleeping. Oh, they've got this serotonin controlling type thing that I can, a pill. They're going to remember those stories because, oh, yeah, one of their customers did that. Or I did that. So put a story with that business card, you'll be more successful. I like it. Funny, right? I love it. We'll put our stories. Maybe yeah. that's what we do. We put our individual stories on the back of the cards. That'd be kind of cool. We got our own stories, obviously. Yeah. Even just auditory is what he's saying, too, when you need them. Just sure, put your yeah. story in there. So I, gi I give a card to every single basically uber drive I, I uber all the time really? and they're for some reason they always ask me like what are you doing and i tell them and it's like oh well do you know my cousin's got this that on my my wife so there's always stories going on and afterwards it's like here's a card and yeah of course they do come in because they remember that stuff mm -hmm. and sometimes whenever we're at networking events you're meeting like 20 people it's just like all right i need to get 20 cards out at least you know kind of there's also that gotta aspect do that of it. Yeah. gotta <laughs> do it yeah and on a side note for all entrepreneurs out there baldo has been an entrepreneur and he doesn't ha he hasn't had a car in three years but you pass out car. car. Oh, yeah. Hasn't had a car. Hasn't had a car. Oh, holy cow. Nice. Yeah, three years. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So when he talks about the Uber, yeah, that wow. happens all the time. That's a lot of cards then. It's a lot of cards. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because uh, so one of the girls that's helping on our website, Erica, and I were just meeting before this to discuss redesign stuff. And uh, she was talking about how when she first started her business, she was driving Lyft, like just to make the money that she needed. And I said, that's so funny because – I'm a registered Lyft driver, too, from when I didn't have very many clients. Or sometimes I'm just like, screw this. I want to make some extra money this weekend. I'll hop back on there. You meet so many people as a driver, too. Wow. Yeah. Because, like, I, I mean, I've, I've passed out so many business cards just to people that are passengers. Like, if they're a passenger that doesn't want to talk, that's fine. But as soon as they engage in any sort of conversation and they find out that I do what I do, they are all ears. You're, and like, you're like, bam. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of, like, Lyft and Uber drivers that do that too. So it's funny that you kind of pull the reverse because usually people are driving for it to advertise <laughs> their business. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, what oh, I'm just riding. And there's <laughs> also like a thing. So that's why you don't have a car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's really, yeah, it's a marketing scheme. It's <laughs> <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the thing about it is that you also have to be receptive to it, right? Because there was, at the beginning, there was a lot of the, like, you know, as soon as they asked me something, I'm like, dude, I'm just trying to get to work. Like, you know, don't talk to me. You know, and then I noticed, like, that's. That's a wrong attitude to have about anything, anyways, and, and, and you know there's there is sometimes that I'm just like in the middle of the night and just like look I, I'm done, but then I still like you know what here's a card here's go get a free beat drop shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, All right. Well, Lynn, thank you so much. I was looking forward to this. I'm glad you know. We, look, it was a new segment, right? A new topic. We were like, how are we gonna talk about health? I think we covered it. Yeah. I think we did. A little bit so. of health, a little bit of story, yeah, a little yeah. bit of sales, a little bit of everything. Yeah, so uh, congratulations on everything, and yeah. uh, I can't Plus wait to read the book. One of the best drinks oh, ever. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Dangerous, thank you. <laughs> That's not your first one either, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you all.